0: Uh, I always say this, but I truly mean this, it's always an honor to be able to share the Word of God with you. Um, As I was preparing for this message, I thought how many years ago, in a season where I felt like I was uh, anonymous, maybe, where I was hidden, I would constantly pray, God, when are you going to give me opportunities to start preaching again? And I remember the Lord telling me all the time, just be faithful where I have you right now. Don't seek the attention. Don't seek the opportunity. When it's time, it will happen. And so every time that I'm preparing a message these days, I thank God for these opportunities. And I feel honored to be able to share the word of God with you this morning. And so um, I want to pray with you guys, and uh, we'll continue in our series today. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We ask that your presence be in this place, as we already know it is, God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are um, so close to us, you're so near to us, and you bring conviction, God, in areas where we need it. Father, we don't wanna just come into another church service, hear a message, and walk out the same. So help us to stop, help us to pause, and help us to take in what it is that you're saying, God. If there's anything getting in the way right now of you dealing with our hearts, of you speaking to our lives, in Jesus' name right now, I pray, God, that those things be removed. God, let blindfolds be removed, God. Let ears be open to hear your voice clearly this morning. And let our lives be transformed by your power, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we've been going through a series called Stories, and we've been taking different stories in the Bible and drawing points and lessons out of them that we can apply to our lives. And didn't Hunter Brooks do a great job last week using the story of Samson? (laughs) He talked about how God does not use perfection, right? How we're imperfect people going after a perfect God and how God is the God of breakthrough. So Hunter, you did an amazing job. I'm proud of you, man, and it's an honor to be able to follow up and uh, continue this series with you. So today we're gonna talk about a man who who was washed away from leprosy. Now we're gonna do a lot of reading this morning and that's okay, right? because some of us haven't read since high school ended, okay? So let's waken up our brains, let's waken up our minds, let's engage with scripture and read some this morning, amen? I'm setting it all up. It's like the old school days when they would say, let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of the word, right? And we would open up our Bibles. I still have a physical Bible because there's something about a physical Bible that just feels, it takes me back to the old days, right? When we used to have the projector and, you know, the, the word lyrics on the screen with the projector shining, I was a master. I'm getting off track, but I was a master at the projector. I was standing in the front there, and I had my box with all the different songs, and I didn't know that God was helping me to remix, right? Because they would change the song all of a sudden. I had to pull the slide out, slide it in, and put the... Some of you, all don't know what I'm talking about, but if you grew up in church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 2 Kings 5.1, it says... Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man in the view of his master and eminent, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but afflicted with leprosy. Everybody say leprosy. Leprosy. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said to her mistress, if only my master, were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, The girl who is from the land of Israel spoke such and such. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, and he took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. Verse 6, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, and now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Say no pressure, right? But when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to keep alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? but consider now and see now how he is seeking a quarrel against me. In other words, these are fighting words. Now it happened when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king saying, why did you tear your clothes? They were Gucci. I'm kidding, he didn't say that. (laughs) Just have him come to me, and he shall learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, And stood at the doorway of Elijah's house. The music is building up. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan. How many times? Seven Seven times. And your flesh will be restored to you. And you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and he went away and he said, behold, I thought he will certainly come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the sight and cure the leprosy. Arabana, and far part, the rivers of Damascus, not better than all the waters of Israel. Can you hear his pride in this? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. Man, when you read that story, it's clear that Naaman had his own agenda, his own plan on how this was gonna go down. He's got his entourage, he's got the money, he's got this whole vision of how this is gonna happen because he thinks, I'm an important person, I've got, statu- I've got uh, a position, right? I've got status, so Elijah's just gonna come out, wave his hand over me, pray for me, and I'm gonna be healed. But when he's told to go into the Jordan River, and Div seven times, you can see that he was offended. What do we do and how do we respond when God doesn't do what we expect? Yeah. Let me repeat that. How do we respond when God doesn't do what we expect? What do you do when your plans, your agenda, your dreams were all there in your hands and God calls you to do it a different way? Do we like name and throw a fit and walk away in rage? or do we trust God and obey? Some of us can think, this is not how I envision my life going. I thought by now I would be further along. I thought by now that I would have been married. I thought by now that I would be in a better financial state. I thought by now that whatever the situation is and the challenge is in your life right now, I thought by now that would be gone. What do we do when God doesn't do what we expect? How do we respond in those moments? See, what I've realized is that it comes down to a very simple yet very profound question. Is do I truly believe that God is good? Do I truly believe that God is good? Stop and ask yourself that question for just a moment. Do you truly believe that God is good because trust is found in how we answer that question? And how we answer that question determines how well we will trust God when it doesn't make sense. If we don't believe that God is good, then when we're asked to do something that doesn't match our vision, that doesn't match our plans, that doesn't match our dreams, then we will in many ways, like Naaman, throw a fit and walk away in rage and say, you know what, Never mind. this is not what I envisioned. I won't continue to go to church. I won't continue to serve God. I won't continue to seek Him because this is not the way that I wanted things to go. What do we do when God doesn't do what we expect Him to do? About two weeks ago, I had just finished reading a book called Dream Big by Bob Goff that we were reading together as a staff. And I went back and I read it again because I really wanted to take it in. And when I finished that book, you know, just the feeling of finishing a book and just being like, let me get on to my next one. And some of us have that stack of books that we're like, I can't wait to read that book. You pass by it every single day, right? And I was picking up that particular book, which is called Creativity Incorporated, which is a story of Pixar and just how all of that happened, right? And I pick it up, I start reading the book, and as I read the first chapter, I'm hooked. And I'm like, I know when a book is gonna be a page turner and this is gonna be one of them. So I'm excited thinking I'm gonna finish it like that. And I felt the Holy Spirit say something. He said, for the time being, I need need you to put that book aside and start reading more of the Bible. Now, just like with anyone else, anybody else, when it doesn't make sense, you start to think, really? Like, I spend time with you on a daily basis. I read my Bible. But I really feel like the Holy Spirit was saying, if you continue to read that book, that's going to become the louder voice in your life right now. And you need to seek me. Now, I could have sat there and justified it and said, well, God, do you not know who I am? I'm the student pastor, I can read a book and I can read the Bible and continue to do that. And there was nothing wrong with the book in and of itself, but the fact that God was asking me to obey was the important thing here. What are those small things that God is asking you to obey in? And sometimes we push it off and think, that ain't gonna make a difference. But if we're not faithful with the little, we know what happens. God can't trust us with more. What do we do when God doesn't do what we expect? Is there something right now that God has been asking you to do, but you've held back because it does not match what you envisioned? Sometimes I forget that when I asked Jesus into my heart, I also asked him to be my Lord. And Lord means that he calls the shots. Lord means that I follow his leading. Lord means that I obey even when it doesn't make sense. And quite honestly, a lot of times, I've had to ask him to be Lord of my life again because I have a tendency to wanna take my heart back. I have a tendency to wanna take my life back and do things my way. But that's not what I'm called to do. And that's not what our relationship with God is based on. If I stop and I look at the story of Naaman and I put myself in his shoes, I can kinda understand his frustration. I mean, God could have just had Elijah pray and Naaman would be healed. He's done it that way before, right? We see that in the Bible. Why have him go to the Jordan River and wash himself seven times? God wasn't just trying to cure his leprosy. He was trying to deal with his pride. He was trying to go deeper. God was showing Naaman, your pride is eating away at you on the inside and your heart is full of leprosy. Now, sometimes we don't understand what leprosy is, but leprosy was a horrible disease. It still exists some right now, but it's not as common as it was back in biblical days. And it was a disease that would eat at your skin. Eventually, your skin would start welling up. It's known that sometimes it had a bad odor because of what was inside of your skin, the infection. And in that time, if you had leprosy, you were an outcast. You weren't a part of society. You were separated from your wife, from your kids, from your friends, from your family and put with other lepers until you recovered and healed fully. But if you never healed fully, that's exactly how your life would be. And the embarrassing thing is that when you had leprosy back in those days, a lot of times you were called to yell out unclean. You would have to give a notice that you were coming by so that people would know and separate themselves from you. Can you imagine just living that kind of life? being completely separated. And we see in the Bible that when it talks about leprosy, it's a parallel to the sinful, destructive nature of sin in our hearts. How sin isn't just a surface level thing, just like leprosy isn't. Leprosy will eventually get into the inside of your body and start to affect your muscles. Sin does the exact same thing. And what God was doing here is he was saying, it's not just the leprosy that I'm trying to heal in your life, Naaman. I'm trying to deal with the pride in your heart. Everything God asks us to do is with one focus, that our hearts be completely His. And our hearts lie the root of our exterior problems. You've ever gotten frustrated with what you keep doing over and over again? You've ever gotten frustrated thinking, God, this is the very last time that I'm gonna do this, but you continue to do it again? Am I the only one? No it's inside of our hearts that the root of those things lie. Listen to this, the bursts of anger are only a byproduct of what's rooted in our hearts. The lusting is only a result of what's rooted deeply in our hearts. The acts of selfishness of always thinking me, me, me is only the fruit of a deeper root in my heart and the desire to always want more, to make more money, to work more and never feeling content is the result of a deeper root in our hearts. What God is saying is if I heal your leprosy but I don't have your heart, you're gonna end up in the same place. And sometimes God says no to things because he says, if I do that, it's not gonna change the situation. It's not the exterior that I wanna deal with. I wanna deal with the interior because if I deal with the interior, the exterior is gonna change. This is a heart issue. I can't stop cussing. Deal with your heart. What's in your heart? Man, I can't control my anger. Go back and ask the Lord, what's deeply rooted in my heart? Holy Spirit, show me what's in my heart that continues to come out in anger, that continues to come out in shame, that continues to come out in whatever area that you get frustrated with on a daily basis. If I heal your leprosy, but I don't have your heart, none of this matters. And this is why David in Psalm 139, 23 to 24, he says this, search me. Everybody say, search me. Search me. Oh God, and know my heart. Know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Search me. I was reading a commentary and this is what it said. Search me, it means to dig deep. David is asking God to make a cutting into the man and lay bare his inmost nature as men do in a railway cutting. Layer after layer after layer going deeper and deeper and deeper until the bedrock is reached. Search me, dig into me, bring the deep-lying parts to light and know my heart, meaning this, know the center of my personality, know my inmost self, know why I act the way that I act, God, and deal with that. Guys, God is after our hearts because true healing takes place in our deepest hearts. Sometimes when we don't allow God to go deep, we're just putting a band-aid on something that God is saying that's only going to fix the temporary problem, but the issue is deeper than that. There's unforgiveness in your heart. You need to deal with someone that you haven't forgiven. There's selfishness and greed inside of your heart. There's pride in your heart, and sometimes that pride stops us from serving in areas that God is calling us to serve in. I'm going to be honest with you. That pride in our hearts is the reason why sometimes we don't serve here at church. I'm too good for that. I'm too busy. I've got a lot of stuff going on. We've lost focus of the reason that we're here on this earth, which is to advance his kingdom. It's to be able to commit everything we are to him. Verse 13 says, then his servants approached and spoke to him, saying, my father, had the prophet told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. You guys know the seven is the number of completion, right, in the Bible. He dipped himself seven times because God doesn't do anything halfway. In accordance with the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. And the point that we've been driving throughout this series, and you've heard it before, is that obedience is better than sacrifice. See, Naaman wanted to pay money, be healed, and move on his way. But the important thing was to obey. Naaman wanted to put money in front of the prophet and say, here, get distracted by this, but don't go any deeper. Here's some money. I'm going to throw it at you. Heal me. And if we're not careful, we can do the exact same thing. But with us, it's we can hide behind religious activity and disguise, we disguise our lack of full surrender to God behind religious activity, our lack of obedience to him. We try to disguise it with things like, well, I go to church every Sunday, so I'm okay. I even serve, so I'm good. I give, so I'm fine. Me and God are tight. I read my Bible, I pray, and we can do all these things and God still not have our hearts. We can disguise ourselves behind these things. Guys, every time that I preach a message, I preach it knowing that it's convicted me first. And as I'm preparing this message, my prayer continually was God, search me. What is there that I need to confess? What do you need to bring into the light? God, what do you need to bring out of me that maybe I've been hiding behind that is stopping me, God, from what you have, the blessing on the other side? We can do all these things and God still not have our hearts. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus is addressing the religious leaders in that time. And he says this. He says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, all the right things are coming out of their mouth, but I don't have their heart. Here's a question that I constantly ask myself. Who or what has my heart right now? And if you've been at NYC, I've mentioned this before in multiple sermons, that this is a question that I ask myself continually, who or what has my heart right now? And here's why. The answer to that question is revealed many times by looking at what's leading my decisions on a daily basis. Am I led by greed? Am I led by money? Am I led by people's approval? Am I led by wanting to feel important, what is leading my heart? What is leading my decisions right now? Because that's typically the answer to what has my heart in that moment. In other words, is my life marked by only sacrifices or is it marked by obedience to God? The story continues in verse 15. Are you guys okay? I know we're going deep, but I promise you, I try to throw in some jokes in there and God's like, "No, nah, I don't need that. I'm not gonna lie to you, you guys know I like to make y'all laugh, but today God was like, just listen to me. Verse 15, it says, then he returned to the men of God with all his company, this is Naaman, and he stood before him and he said, behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. You're starting to see transformation happen here. So please accept a gift from your servant now. But he said, as surely as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will accept nothing. So Elijah standing his ground and saying, this ain't about me. And he urged him to accept it, but again, Elijah refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let your servant be given two mules load of earth, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering. Some of you are like, why would he ask for two mules load of earth? What he was saying is that if I depart from this place, I want to take some of the soil as a remembrance to worship that God. That's where his heart was. Guys, when somebody gives their life to Jesus, they don't have it all together. And we have to remember that. That sanctification is a process that happens over time. That transformation isn't an overnight thing. That we need to be a little more patient and a little more graceful with people who are still on this walk just like we are. And he says, regarding this matter, may the Lord forgive your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there and he leans on my hand and I bow down in the house of Rimmon. Rimen was a foreign god and basically he's saying there, hey, I know that my life is changing, now I'm transforming, but I'm going back to the way that, the culture that I live in. And when I'm there, I'm asking God to forgive me if I have to go with my master to this temple for this foreign god. My heart is his, but I have this battle between committing to God and the world pulling me in a different direction. That's the battle that happens with us on a daily basis, right? is that I'm committed to God, but I've got culture trying to talk to me. I'm committed to God, but I've got this other part trying to pull me. And he says, when I bow down in the house of Rimmon, may the Lord please forgive your servant in this matter. And Elijah said to him, go in peace. What we see here is a truly transformed life is what's happening. And I love the fact that it shows the battle between him living in culture and now wanting to please God, which is a sign of a transformed life he immediately starts to think, I don't even want there to be a hint of false worship. My master may go and worship a false god, and I will give, go with him, but I want to worship the one and true God. He is saying, God, I love you, and I want to make sure that I live displaying that, that my life is a picture of your greatness and of who you are. When we read the story and we take it as a whole, what I draw from this is, On the other side of my obedience is a truly transformed life. On the other side of my obedience is a truly transformed life. We're asking God to change us and God is asking us to obey. We're asking God to move things and to do stuff in our hearts and in our lives and he's asking us, have you obeyed the very last thing I told you? Don't worry about if it makes sense. Guys, if you're waiting for it to all make sense, you're gonna be living a frustrated Christian life because it won't make sense sometimes. Most of the time, it won't make sense. But we go back and we ask ourselves, do I truly believe that God is good? And even if I can't see the way, and even if I don't know what the next step is, God, I trust you because I know that you're good. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just wanna take some time right now. Just right there where you're at, we're gonna have just a moment of reflection. This is you and God. And just ask the simple question right now. Just say, Holy Spirit, in what area are you asking for my obedience? Holy Spirit, what area are you asking for my obedience? We're just gonna spend some time right now and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak. I feel that some of you, it's simple stuff. It's nothing major. It's small changes. Some of you who are married, God is asking you to start serving your husband, to start serving your wife. And it doesn't make sense. Because logic tells you they don't deserve it. They haven't done anything to deserve me serving them. God is saying, don't worry about that. Just obey, serve your spouse. For others of you, there's dreams in your heart that God has put there. And out of fear, you've held back because it doesn't make sense how everything's going to come together. But as we're here in this room right now, you know the Holy Spirit is nudging at you once again and saying, you need to start taking steps. When you start taking steps, let me tell you from personal experience that God will meet you there. He will provide He will make a way. He'll surround you with people who will bring resources to supply and to help you move that dream forward. You just need to obey. And for others of you, you know that your act of obedience is surrendering your life to Jesus. You've been coming to church. You've even opened up your Bible at times You've prayed, but he's not Lord of your life. He's not the one calling the shots. He's not the one leading your decisions. And today is that day where you make that decision to obey God and to say, Lord, I wanna trust that you are a good God. And so I wanna fully surrender my life today. And if that's you this morning, The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and he died for us. He's not waiting for you to have it all together. He's just asking you to obey. Don't worry about how it's gonna work out in the future with the friends that you have, with the current environment that you're in. You just obey and surrender your life to Jesus. He'll take care of that. The Bible says that if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, that that's how we're saved. So this morning, let's all pray this prayer together, joining those who are making that decision for the very first time. Say, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Take it. I fully surrender to you. I ask that you be the Lord of my life. You call the shots. You lead me. You guide me. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you defeated death through your resurrection. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Can we give it up for all those who are making that decision for the first time?